0: Hi coaches, welcome to another episode of the ITA College Tennis Coaches podcast. I'm the host, Dave Mullins, COO of the Intercollegiate Tennis Association. Today I speak with Jamia Jackson, who is in her first season as the head women's tennis coach at Princeton. Jamia turned pro at the age of 16 and reached a career WTA high of number 43. After just six years, she had to call an end to her professional career and reimagine her future career plans. Her first coaching opportunity landed her at Oklahoma State from 2009 to 2013 as an assistant coach, where she combined her coaching duties with her work on an undergraduate degree. She then served as a national coach for the USTA Player Development Department for nine years. In this podcast, we discuss Jamia's unique path to a head coaching role in the college game, what she learned during her time at Oklahoma State and USTA PD, how she maximizes her practice time and managed her transition to the head coaching role at Princeton. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jamia. Jamia Jackson, welcome to the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast.
1: Thank you. <laughs> I don't good. want to tell you that when you press record, I had to had to it, <laughs> and I thought about it. I do that all the time. <laughs> Almost uh, did approve it, yeah, but. Yeah
0: ready to go here. I'm looking forward to um, getting into a lot of things here. you You haven't had the, I guess, most traditional pathway to becoming a head coach. Obviously, these days, a lot of folks play college tennis, maybe start go volunteer, then maybe become an assistant, then become a head. And you've had a very unique and interesting journey. So um, can you maybe take us through that journey, Jamia, from, you know, your junior tennis, your decision to turn pro, your pro career, and then um, really how you ended up in the college tennis ranks as a a coach?
1: Sure. Uh, It is a winding, winding story. So I'll try and make it as straight to the point as I can, but I... um, did a you know american with the whole like um american system of things playing all the nationals um it's amazing thinking back to it how much the tour and things have changed in the last i guess 20 years it's been a, it's been a minute i turned pro at 16 and i'm 36 now so that's 20 years ago um wow. and yeah <laughs> i don't know if i should tell you that but um <laughs> Back then, it was not as common for players to um, homeschool. It was also not really a thing to be able to go to school for like a year Mm. and then be able to leave and play on tour and come back and kind of have that spot secured. That happened after my time, so that really sort of influenced me going pro at a young age even though initially when I started in Atlanta at um seven years old that was my goal my goal was to get a, a college scholarship hmm. via some sort of sport which ultimately when I was 10 tennis became my my main sport so I played I, I um, played all the nationals moved to the Baltaris, now i now G, when I was 11 almost 12 and turn pro at 16 because number one of just the opportunities with college being different. And also, um, Maria, who's a year younger than me, she actually won Wolden at 17, you know, which was oh Maria,
0: know, first first name basis.
1: Yes, so, well, you we grew together <laughs> 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 <Big> <laughs> time. But, you know, yes. So we were kind of that last era, right? Of yeah. of uh, female tennis players that players were really not just like getting into slams at 17, 18, but were like, you were winning slams. You had that capability. We were right after Martina, you know, who was winning them at 15, 16 years old. So we had that kind of like expectation um, for ourselves put on us. And that definitely figured heavily into my decision to turn pro at such a young age. That being said, I always knew I would go to school After playing, it did actually come a lot sooner than I would have hoped for, obviously, but that's, that's sport, you know, um, injury is a huge part of it in, in any sport, not just tennis, obviously. And when it came for me, that was something I had to reckon with. And I was extremely lucky. I just, I still thinking back on it now, I don't even know how it happened, but that I was able to join Chris and attend Oklahoma state at, I think I was 22, um, and sort of taken like graduate position in an undergraduate way. So I ended up being full-time coach there, but also attending class full-time, did not sleep mm-hmm. much <laughs> for four years, and then graduated from Oklahoma State, got my alma mater, and started working at the USTA pretty much the month after, mm-hmm. and I was there for nine years until this fall when I started at Princeton University
0: yeah quite the journey and then when you're talking about injuries Jamia is there anything you think you could have done differently and then how does that influence how you coach players today in terms of keeping them as healthy as possible for as long as possible
1: yeah, is there anything I think I could have done differently? Yes, haunts my dreams uh, for sure. So I think um, a portion of it was for me. It was non-fixable. I my first injury was a hip injury, on my right hip, and it was basically just the pounding and the rotation and the type of game that I played. So there, that was unfortunately outside of my control, but I do think that um, two things kind of factored into making decisions, Okay, in my control, that that didn't help me. So one was I was never injured young, like anything more than a couple of, of weeks or so. And so I think that that gave me a little bit of a false sense of security, and um how quickly i could recover and so when i did get this ultimately career ending and so very serious injury i didn't take it as seriously as i should have i didn't give it enough time to heal and i think that a portion of that is being willing to listen to your body i came back too soon from my first injury and um ultimately needed two more surgeries in relationship to how early I came back, to be honest. So Mm -hmm. I think that um, listening to your body is extremely important and something that um, juniors maybe don't hear enough. Um, That's something that I definitely stress with the kids. I think, I mean, I played so much tennis at a young age and not all of it was needed, not all of it was productive. Mm-hmm. And it was a little bit more for my own mentality than because of what my body needed, and um, it was listening to you know my mind over like what my body was really telling me. That wasn't smart. So I think that I keep that in mind with the players now. Like rest is an important part of mm-hmm. uh, uh, every regimen, and listening to your body is really key. And giving the kids the um, wherewithal to, to speak. And to say what they feel I really like I employed that because I didn't do that and um I also think that um there was one other thing that I thought was really important for taking care of of but I can't remember so come hopefully it'll come back to me <laughs> well, just, I told uh, you I'm getting old so
0: uh, yeah yeah right. <laughs> I'd love to be 36 Um, (laughs) uh, when you're talking about, yeah, uh, that dealing with injuries or or recognizing them and then what to do, but also then with those players that you have on your team that get injured and, and how would you best manage, or, or how would you advise coaches to best manage those players and, and their mental health around that, because right. th- that's right. always a difficult time. They're removed from their traditional schedule. They're maybe not interacting as much with the team and the coaches. Is there anything that you feel like you've been able to do? Because you relate to, to, to a lot of those feelings, um, right. not, not necessarily in that team setting you're playing individually, but but I'd imagine your experiences are very relevant to to what some of these players might be dealing with at the college level.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that, I mean, that was actually, thank you so much for that. That would have been my other uh, point actually. is to I try read to your stress. mind. Yeah, you're good. You're good at this. <laughs> um, To try not to stress so much, you know, because that does put you at more of a, you know, um, more liable to get injured when you stress out over things. And hmm. you just, at, at that age, like everything just seems like, such a big deal you know and everything's not such a big deal and helping people kind of keep perspective and um not take themselves and and everything that kind of comes their way so hard and and make it such a big deal I think is really really important just like perspective for things and then I think um getting things fit, like dealt with early, a lot of the juniors that I kind of see and even some of the, you know, the collegiate players in my different kind of dealings with them, whether that be at Oklahoma State, or that be here, or that be um, at the USTA when we'd have summer teams and things like that. There is a little bit of a tendency to think things are okay, you know, to not get things checked, not go to the trainer as soon as things kind of happen not get the MRI, you know, immediately. And you look back and four or five weeks have passed and maybe you've continued to play on it and things have gotten worse. Whereas if you would have dealt with it at the jump, you know, you could have nipped it in the bud. So really encouraging people to look at it early and get it figured out early, that can like help your peace of mind. Absolutely. And then um are it's so important the mental side of things. Tennis is such a huge part of how um, we define ourselves, you know, and so not being afraid to still connect with, with your team in different ways. Um, be that not being on court <laughs> sometimes, you know, like it being difficult to watch and things like that, but still going to dinner with your teammates and, and not being afraid to reach out and things like that. Um I felt like when I stop playing initially, I did kind of um, withdraw from my friend group quite a bit, just because I didn't know where I stood. I didn't know kind of who I was away from tennis, kind of being so young. And I do regret that, you know, because I did have really supportive friends in tennis and I had to rebuild those relationships up. Whereas if I could have been okay being vulnerable with them, then I think that I would have had a lot more support then I ultimately like found myself, I found myself in like some deep dark places <laughs> yeah. during that time. Um, but some of it was during my make it, was my making, you know, and not trusting, trusting certain people. So just kind of really encouraging them to stay connected, mm-hmm. even though like it's hard, it's vulnerable. Um, the position that you're in, I think yeah. that those have been like things that I feel like I made mistakes with sort of in my career. And I hope that I can help somebody else, some of these players, some of these young kids um, step over some of those, you know, potholes that I found myself in.
0: Yeah, I, I no doubt you will. And and yeah, just coaches being cognizant of it's it's easy kind of out of sight, out of mind, and, and especially when you get into the season and, and coaches are so focused on that next match or reflecting upon the last match and and then those injured players can just i don't want to say they're pushed to the side but it's it's how as a coach yeah can you engage with those players as as much if not more um than than maybe you would if they were were healthy and finding additional ways to, to, um, you know, make them feel part of the team. Maybe there's other responsibilities you can provide them as well to, to make them feel maybe they're, you know, feeling, you know, a student coach kind of thing or taking stats or, or helping out, you know, with equipment or something, I don't know, but, um, yeah, it's definitely, definitely an important area for coaches to, to remember. And then Jimmy, as, as you know, you, you may, you know, you're forced to make that decision to end your career as as a pro. Um, you said you always wanted to go to school, you had a, you know, uh, from an early age, you understood the collegiate system and, and that maybe that was a path you wanted to go. But I'm interested kind of what, what is the impression behind the scenes at the pro yeah. level of college tennis? And You know, how were you viewing that? How are other people in your inner circle viewing that? I'm sure they're thrilled that you're going, you know, to work on your degree. But is it like, oh, college tennis, like, you know, it's such a step down. You were hanging out with Maria and Martina and the other name droppers you were giving us. (laughs)
1: Sorry, I realized I was doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I was, I mean, my, my intention was to go to, was to get my degree i really um i did not think about college tennis until it was suggested to me by um one of my own my old coaches to be completely honest i think that um it was one afternoon it had been a week long uh a week of me making a lot of calls to people in my circle i guess now they call it teams we didn't really call it that back then but coaches and and um, my agent and um, sponsors and things of that nature kind of telling them I was taking a break I didn't know it was next but that I was gonna Mm. go to school and um, my old coach suggested that I if I went to school I look to stay connected in tennis and I try to be a college coach at some at any school you know the, the conversation really didn't go any deeper than that but it, a light bulb kind of went off, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's interesting, and uh this coach, it was my old coach, who's now the director of tennis with the USTA, Ola Malkus, he put me in touch with Erica Perkins, who we all know, I'm sure, and at the time, she was the liaison between the USTA and um college tennis, yep. and she helped me, yeah, in every way, kind of, prepare resumes and things of that nature, I I was not, I didn't really have a great grasp on on that. But that was really, as far as I went in really like thinking about it, it was like a super fast process. I started actually attending school somewhere else and then I got a call from Chris. Mm. Um, He was starting at Oklahoma State. We started together and we started after the school year had actually begun and um that kind of a whirlwind process when i think back on it if i think about what my ideas about college tennis were i i I don't know if i have clarity you know um i had i was still young right and so i had friends who played college tennis and they were they went in and some of them had a lot of success and I thought they would have a lot of success. And some people I thought would have a lot of success as well. And they didn't have a lot of success. And so I don't think that I really knew like what the level was, right. Um, There ended up being for sure more depth than I expected. Um, And I think that, um, just the sheer globalness of it, which I knew, you know, obviously it calculated I knew, but when I saw it, I, it was wasn't what I expected, right? But I think that the biggest shock was not the tennis. You know, The biggest shock was all the other things that go into being a college coach, I guess, and that go into the college ranks. And that was what I really had to wrap my head around. Like I think uh, I may have told you this, but when Chris was first showing me around, like we stopped by, you know, my office. You know, he was like, "Here's your office," you know, and I was like, "Oh, it's great. I have an office," you know. But in my mind, I was like, "I am never going to be in there," you know, <laughs> and be on court all the time. And yeah, as we all know, that that was my (laughs) folly yeah and hopefully that that right there that displays just how much I I I realized what what really went into yeah the process to make everything run run smoothly for everyone I think
0: that's uh that's always a big surprise it's not just Uh, it's for folks that have played college tennis and then are even as a college tennis player you don't really know like I just see my coach at practice and see him on trips I mean obviously there are some other things but but you don't really know what they're doing all day Uh, and it's not exactly you're like oh man there's like
1: this is so yeah like even the the girls you know like they just have no idea they have like think they you think things just appear and happen (laughs) <laughs> you're yeah. like, oh, somebody has to do that you know yeah.
0: so, no so yeah I think you weren't you're not alone in in uh being a little stunt as to what it's all about but yeah that's talk kind of you to about. say
1: but, <laughs> appreciate uh, it that's kind of you to say I appreciate
0: it know well, I, I think we all we all struggle with it when we get started and, and something yeah we're trying to focus uh, around a coach education perspective just informing our coaches that uh, our new coaches or young coaches in the industry that hey there's all these other things that you do need to be thinking about and focusing that being a college tennis coach isn't just developing players working on team culture and doing some recruiting there's a lot more that goes into it and and then I think you probably work for one of the best coaches in our industry in terms of knowing what all those buckets are and excelling in all those areas i mean chris young just i mean what what he's done at oklahoma state uh with your help starting off and since then um he understands the fundraising he understands the facilities piece the community engagement piece getting fans out uh hosting events he's going to be the host for the NCA championships next year. Um, So what are some of the key lessons that you learned from Chris during your four years there?
1: Yeah, gosh, I mean, when I think back on my time with Chris and and (laughs) what I learned, I think that the first thing is probably like some regrets, because I don't, I don't think I learned enough, you know. Um, I think that when I first came in, it was, you know, a very, like, even though I, I took it a, a different path, it was a the, kind of the normal situation where you have someone who's relatively young, you know, coming into this new job, coming off teenage years, where you don't realize that you think you know everything, but you think you know everything, you know, and I think I spent like, you know, the first year and a half really just realizing you know, in little spurts, that I did not know everything. <laughs> you know, and um, I think that Chris is is really, really good in in modeling what is correct. And along those lines, one of the things that he really does model is he's just like a lifelong learner. It's like what you said about the amount of knowledge that he he has and he continues to learn is. It's insane. Like, I remember um, Chris came over, came to my home once, like in Tennessee. My parents lived in Tennessee, and my parents had him over for dinner. And, you know, I'm there, I'm talking to my mom. We're, you know, talking about family, talking about everybody, talking about, you know, a lot of nonsense. And Chris and my dad never met before. And they started having, like, they were having this conversation and they just both kept talking. I was like, are they best friends are like what? And finally, like 30, 35 minutes in, like I start listening because I'm like, what are, what are these two talking about? What is happening? And the, it, it was just, I, once I started listening, I really clued in because they were having this like in-depth sports conversation as guys tend to do. But I had, it was, it went on and on and on and on, you know, in 1957, you know, this, coach did this with this player and man how did it turn out yeah but this coach in 1942 you know and like what and they knew everybody and they you know and and I was just like I was blown away you know it was like being in in a class and and listening to you know two professors who know their craft Mm -hmm. inside and out and they're just comparing you know vibing and and um, playing off one another and you would never know from either of them because like they're so humble but they have so much knowledge and they were listening to each other and taking that in and and cataloging it and then would you knew it would kind of come out in the future and that's kind of how Chris is about like everything you know like again he's so humble he has no ego but he knows so much and he's always learning. And so, yeah, he knows how to fundraise. Yeah, he knows about facilities. Like because of that, because he's always, he has no ego, he's trying to learn. He always thinks that he can he can get better, right? And I think that his like managerial style of, he kind of, he coached me, you know? And even though I was his assistant, he, he coached me, you know, and I think that, like, that taught me a lot about just relating to people, and really being, being a true coach, right, like, it's not about, like, um, someone's age, or, you know, where they're from, or any of that, like, you can help someone um, get better, you know, and learn, and, and in a kind way, right, like, he never made me feel, you know, bad or dumb or insignificant or anything like it was his managerial style was um phenomenal and um I think that because of those sort of two things a lot of other lessons as far as like becoming more disciplined and as far as like trying to become more organized which I'm sure he would admit he failed (laughs) um but because of those sort of two things I was able to learn more lessons, you know, and like looking back now that I am like still in coaching, I think when I was there being so young and really not knowing what I wanted to do, ultimately, Hmm. I, I didn't pick up all that I really could have picked up from him. And so I still call him quite a bit. He probably wishes that I did it, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but yeah, I learned how to, um, I guess even, you know, from I don't know, philosophical point of view, how how did how to become a more of a teacher? You know, I don't know. It's,
0: yeah, no, it's it's uh, yeah, having experienced Chris, I, I can absolutely uh, you know, imagine wow. all those things and and um, yeah, like you said, that managerial style, I think uh, you know, it's very even keeled. Uh, doesn't get too high or too low. Always really appreciated that about Chris because. You see uh, some other folks uh, going (laughs) a little mental at times. So um, (laughs) I think myself and Chris could lower the temperature in the room. Maybe not when we were playing each other, but.
1: um, (laughs) Yeah, we had some battles. That's for sure. Yeah. But yeah, he has an incredible vision, you know, and I think that helps with that. Yes. That you keep uh, your eye on the prize, you know. That's
0: that's probably the most, uh, you're right. I mean, the vision he created there, there's no... Uh, necessary reason that you would have that vision right Um, and maybe being from there helps I think maybe if you're from you know or a location or understand the community he's from Oklahoma he understands that area and uh, was able to create and then realize this vision uh, for what that program could be and and it's truly amazing remarkable um, story and and uh, yeah we're lucky to have him in, in the college coaching ranks so he could yeah be oh. in any industry and probably making 10 million dollars I ask him that all the time why, why are you college coaching you could be running the country and <laughs> but uh, he really can. Anyway. yeah
1: it's uh, amazing. he's an, a, yeah. an amazing yeah. person so, yeah lucky to have him there's no doubt
0: but Jamia, so you, you leave uh, Oklahoma state, you go over to USTA uh, player development. So now you have, you know, your own experience as a player, you have your four years working with Chris and working with these collegiate players. You now move over to USTA player development. You're working with some of the top top players in the country that are transitioning to pro tour. Uh, you're surrounded by these again, incredible coaches. Um how, how has your coaching philosophy maybe evolved through the years, um, and and yeah, where where is it at now, and how have those experience and influenced that philosophy?
1: Yeah, uh, great question. Let me see again if I can can make this as short as possible. Um, I think that obviously coming off the tour and going straight to work with Chris, being around him, I did begin to develop a philosophy that was was separate from myself. Um I'm sure that when I first first went there, a lot of the things that I thought were like about me or my career or, you know, maybe tangentially the people that I had grown up with and seen around me, but it wasn't it wasn't a coach's philosophy, right? Like it 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 was sort of a, a collection of things that I believed and maybe, what's the best way to put it? Some anecdotal sort of beliefs that, that I brought to the table, having seen a certain amount of tennis and progressed through a certain amount of tennis and watched a, a lot of tennis and, and um, grown up around sport and played. But I was just beginning to like kind of form of philosophy and going to the USTA was excellent in a lot of ways, but for sure from a philosophical point of view, because um, I found, you know, Jose's philosophy there, the five Ps that ultimately, I suppose, I was able to fit a lot of my anecdotal and um, personal beliefs into, you know, I thought that it was broad enough to where it allowed so many different people i mean there's so many ways to play tennis you know there's so many different kinds of players um there's so many different like scenarios that can lead you to being very successful and this philosophy was big enough to where it could you could fit that into it you know and kind of make it your own but it was encompassing enough to where it made sense and you could kind of call on it in a lot of different situations. And so I really, like, instead of like originating my own, you know, I, I I really borrowed a lot from his philosophy around, you know, patience and progressions and problem solving, and a lot of thoughts with like, um knowing different ages and stages, obviously, from being at Oklahoma State and working with a grown, mostly grown Mm -hmm. set of of players to moving to the USTA and working with someone who's 10 one hour, you know, and working with someone who is 18 the next hour and they're all, you know, at the top of their level and, you know, making sure they all get something out of it and, and that they are, it's direct and it's pinpoint for that age, I think was something that I got much better at there because of the philosophy Mm -hmm. so that was that was that was a a a huge part of of me just like really clarifying what it was that that I believed and how like the application process looked
0: Hmm. and Jamia so for those coaches that again I don't think (laughs) there's very few coaches who had your experiences and and the type of network and what you've been exposed to, especially in player development and coaches from all over the world. And, and, um, you know, I'm sure you've picked up so many things through the years, even from the age of 16, when you're at a Grand Slam event, and you're practicing with another top player and their coach is talking to them, etc. But for those coaches that don't have that type of exposure, how, how would you encourage them to learn to develop their own coaching philosophy to you know, become better coaches., uh, you talked about Chris being a lifelong learner, and I think we encourage all our coaches to be that. But how might they start this journey or go on this journey and and really learn and refine who they are and what they're about as a coach?
1: Yeah. Uh, I think that, like there are so many places that you can learn that's like sort of the best thing about like sport, you know, <laughs> that it, it's a little bit more maybe egalitarian than other, other different things in life. So yeah. I think that, like this podcast, you know, I think you and I have talked about that, like mm-hmm. seeking out ways to learn people to listen to. Um, when I was at USA, like we demonstrated so many times just in front of each other, you know, like we, uh, went to a bunch of conferences and listened to other coaches, you can find a lot of that stuff online now, which is really really nice. So you don't even have to have to be there. Using your network of coaches, like especially maybe older, more experienced coaches who you know, reaching out to them, I found that extremely helpful. That was really um, one of the most amazing things about being there. That there were you know coaches who had been coaching for. 25, 30 years, you know, and I would kind of have a situation that I was going through with a certain player and we would have conversations about it. You know, it was really, really nice to be able to kind of bounce things off of coaches instead of it always kind of being a trial and error type thing, you know, and I think not being afraid to have those conversations, you know, like we'd have conversations like, well, if I, you know, if I was coaching someone, to play your player like this is my game plan, you know, and and vice versa, and so like your players may never play, you know, and so it's not like one, it's not a just it doesn't hurt your player, but it actually helps them for you to know like they don't even have to know like you to know how people would play them, and you also can learn a lot from like the players themselves. They have a lot of knowledge, especially um, as they get older. As they get better, um, I've learned so so much from, from every player that I've worked with here mm-hmm. and at the USTA and at, at Oklahoma State. So definitely taking advantage of of any resource around you, you know, you have two hours off, then go to a local program, you know, and talk it over with a coach and, and see what they do and, and say you like it and, and have a conversation about it. Ask them, you know, why'd you do this? Or what was your process here, or what were you thinking here? you mm. know, as much as you feel like it's, it, you can, and it's appropriate, I think that'll help you grow a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think um, coaches are more willing to share than maybe we think as younger coaches, yeah. maybe a little intimidated, but most coaches will, will be happy to engage and, and uh, yeah. share. I just love
1: talking tennis. like, it's actually, yeah. it's like, you're, it's actually, I don't have very many conversations that don't involve tennis, so, which to people chagrin, I'm sure. But they would people love to tell you what they think and and talk things through, for sure.
0: Yeah, everyone has an opinion. Um, <laughs> and then you know, as you it just kind of from a, I guess, uh, t- I don't know was, what the right word. We're both struggling for our words. I guess tactical sense. Like, is there something that maybe during your time at ust ustapd. Um, that you implement now, like, I'll give you an example. So when I was the assistant coach at Northwestern for Claire Pollard, you know, one of the things that she did was, instead of doing the traditional volley warm up, you know, you're kind of halfway between the net and the serve line, you warm up your volleys, she'd have her player start on the serve line, hit one volley there, move in, hit a second volley, close the net, hit a third volley, that was how you warmed up your volleys. It's like, huh, that, that makes a lot more sense than just being stagnant. I mean, we never I mean, obviously there's some exchanges and doubles where you're in that position and you're you're volleying back to the baseline player or to the net player. But but really, it's not practical the way we warm up and practice our volleys. And so that like stuck with me and something. OK, wherever I go, whatever player I'm working with, et cetera, I'm going to implement that. Was there anything like that that really stuck out to you that you, you apply to this day?
1: Yeah, I love that. Claire's so good. I love that. I think that That really, to me, sort of embodies what practice should be, I guess. And I definitely just, I try to make practice as realistic as possible, you know, like from, you know, making sure when they, they're going cross that they're recovering, you know, like we have a tendency just to, yeah, you know, just yeah, just stand in the corner. <laughs> yeah, you know, and you just hit, and it feels great, you know. And then you go and you play, and you're like, it doesn't feel as, as good. Well, it's like, yeah, you have to hit and move, and I mean, it's a movement game. And you're actually just to kind of take that scenario and run with it. Um, when you're just standing in the corner, you're just hitting cross court to each other. You're actually, in a way, practicing bad habits. You know, you're practicing not just from a physical. Um, situation where you're not recovering, you're not taking good angles to the ball, but also from a mental right standpoint, which is the most important thing in practice, like, or in tennis, in any sport, your mind, you know, you're practicing hitting shots from different parts of the court that you, would, you wouldn't hit, you know, in a match because they would get you hurt, right? But now you've been hitting them in practice, you're hitting them in a match and you're hurt and you don't know why, right? Like what a terrible position to be in, That you don't know what's going on and you don't know how to change it, but your practices are reinforcing this, right? And so I think that that is just a general rule and something that I felt like um, Ola, when I was a player, he was amazing at this. Like I never felt like I was doing the same drills over and over again. Practice never got redundant, but it was because I was like engaged, you know, and it was always like very, purposeful. and like running and moving, it does become more more fun when it's purposeful and when you're learning, right? And um, so I think that that is something that i i I do try to bring to to practice and something as simple as, you know, recovering off the cross courts. I mean, I, I think that it's it's simple, but it's it's not easy. Right, and it's very easy to to overlook mm-hmm. um certainly for definitely for our players and and also like you know for us, so those those details in in doing things that make you know practice as realistic as possible, so you have one less thing to think about in a match i mean that's it's huge, you know, um so yeah, I, I think uh, if I'm thinking of another, I think, I mean, I think that's a specific thing that we talk about a lot, just that kind of, of um, those kind of drills, I think are huge. Yeah, yeah, that's
0: for sure. Um, and then, Jamie, I mean, just talking about transitions, uh, transitions professionally, not, not, not uh, at the net, but you're, <laughs> again, you have a very unique journey here, you're at Oklahoma State. You're then at U.S. Uh, U.S.T.A.P.D. You're now a head coach at um, uh, at Princeton. So you had that break in between being an assistant and a head coach, which is is rare, right? In our industry, usually you're you're kind of transitioning from assistant to head coach, but you have that break. But you also you're you're a head coach at a very different institution. Um, I can relate. I went from Northwestern. Uh, which is a certain, I guess, clientele to University of Oklahoma, which is very different. And, and, um, you know, so, so how did you manage, maybe not even manage that transition, but when you landed in Princeton, you got the job, you know, those first few days, those first few weeks, those first few months, how did you navigate this new environment uh, how did you learn more? Because you're you're right on the road recruiting, and you need to be able to talk intelligently about what, what the school and the athletic department, et cetera, has, has to offer. Um, so how did you soak in as much information? How did you figure out what those differences are? Um, again, everywhere it has its strengths and weaknesses. There was probably some things that you maybe didn't know about in the, in the interviewing process that you get on campus. And you're like, you're telling me I can't do this, or you know, <laughs> this is the process for doing that. Like that wasn't the case at Oklahoma state. Um, so how, how do you, cause I know that's a frustrating time for coaches and just, again, any advice on how you managed it, how you'd encourage others to manage it.
1: Yeah. Uh, huh. I'm still learning. <laughs> I'm sure. yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, Definitely, I think that, well, at first both are orange and black, so that was comforting. The <laughs> colors are the same, but I think that that's probably where the the, the similarities between the organization kind of start and end, right? Yep. Um, and learning learning that has been challenging, but also I think what has helped me has been using uh, using the resources that are here. I think, and that that is the other coaches in a lot of situations. Um getting to know, yeah, the the basketball coach and um the track coaches. I mean, the the some of the track coaches have been here for longer than I've I've been alive, you know? And so they are incredible resources. Like, you know, they they can almost like kind of see a kid and see where they fit know and kind of know where that kid like really really wants to go you know which is an incredible Mm. kind of um in tune-ness you know that only comes from from years and years and years of 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 experience so that has been really helpful for me kind of using the other coaches as resources as much as possible using the players a lot for resources because it is it is completely it's completely different you know um from location to um, style for sure so i think that number one really asking a lot of information like being honest about what i i do and don't know you know and then also still having recognizing what i what i do and don't know like tennis is the tennis, you know, um, and that is still a huge part of each and every day. And then the other stuff, taking it in stride and it being okay if I don't know something and not being afraid to ask for help, has been helpful. And I think I'll also be learning a lot as well. Like Chris, life long learner, <laughs> so I'll still be learning a lot in the, few, in the, in the upcoming years and no. not afraid of that either.
0: Yeah, no, good advice. Um, all right, we're into our rapid fire questions. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received in your life? It doesn't have to be tennis related.
1: Ooh, best piece of advice I've ever received in my life. In your God, life. My life, this is rapid fire. You put the pressure on.
0: <laughs>
1: I don't know if this is the best, sorry. But uh, I live by this, respect everyone, you know, fear no one. I think that's-
0: Respect everyone, fear no one. Awesome. What is <laughs> is there a book, a podcast, article, passage, poem, video that's influenced your professional career in any
1: significant way? Ah, uh, you guys, you guys used all the all the media. Um, I like Eleven Rings. Um, yep. for me, yeah. Uh, I think that what he did, as far as you know, finding a way to treat everyone individually. Um, on a in a team sport. I think that's huge. That's something that we try to do as tennis coaches um, for college, especially kind of players coming in used to it being just purely individual. I think that um, learned a lot from that. And as well, you know, just, you know, the mental side, that was really interesting kind of seeing before it really like became a thing, you know, how he, um, yeah. you know, how he, I mean, he kind of made it made it more of a thing you know so yeah that perspective is is of interest to
0: me yeah Uh, that's a great book yeah phil jackson everybody should read it um yeah that's a good one okay and then now that you're a head coach what is one thing you hope your players that graduate from your program learn from you what's one thing they hope uh or you've influenced in some way or the lesson they take away and we'll remember, Oh, Jimia, Jimia taught me that.
1: Um, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Gosh, one. Ooh, maybe, maybe here. Just the importance of, I I, I think this actually does go, go in line with a lot of like Princeton's beliefs. Um, The importance of balance and what that means uh, for you. From, for for a lot of the kids, um, certainly for me, it's it's difficult to find that that balance, you know, but but being able to prioritize certain things at certain times, you know, um, and not, like I said, not feeling like you have to be hitting balls every five seconds, you know, but but getting the most out of when you're out there, you know, um I think that figuring out how to find that in your own life is something that I hope to impart on, you know, a lot of the kids who we have here who are, you know, extremely smart, overachievers with what they, what they bring, bring to the table. I think if they're able to find that and hear my voice in the future to have, have balance, I think that would make their life richer. And um, that's something that Princeton definitely, I've been really impressed since I arrived with how important that, tenant is here. I, I I don't know that I expected that. I don't know that I thought about it at all, but yeah. it is a really, really important part of the liberal arts degree here, and I totally agree with it. And so I hope that yeah. I, through tennis and through the education, that we help them sort of achieve that going forward.
0: Yeah, that, that's incredible, because I think at that age, you're not necessarily thinking about balance in your life. It's not until you get into it and start realizing you have absolutely no balance whatsoever and at that point. <laughs> it might not that it's too late but it's uh, (laughs) uh, it's you
1: need to prioritize it right that you need to actually make this something that like value yeah yeah hopefully they they have some like practice Mm. in that um, yeah that they can apply
0: that's really cool
1: as life gets crazier right you have kids and you have it doesn't
0: get any easier it doesn't get any easier
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs)
0: well Jamia this was uh, uh an absolute pleasure I am so thrilled that you are back in the college tennis coaching ranks uh you know the USTA could have you for a few years but you're back now and you better be with us for many decades to come so thank you for doing this today
1: thank you so much
0: Coaches, just a quick reminder that our ITA College Tennis Coaches Convention will be held during the NCA Combined Championships from May 17th to the 20th in Lake Nona, Florida. If you would like to learn more or register, please visit convention.itatennis.com. I hope to see many of you there.